Hey everybody out there, this is Tim Root from 20 Years of Nitro, and uh, this week I wanted to reward those of you who still uh, have us subscribed, waiting up for our upcoming return, uh, with a little bonus episode. Um, first I'm going to just kind of talk about where things are at right now, and then I'll talk a little bit about what this episode is that you're about to hear. Uh, we don't have an exact timetable, we're still definitely uh, planning to return, we just don't know exactly when. Basically my co-host Dave, uh, co-host and one of my best friends, uh, he, in order to help deal with uh, his his alcohol problems that uh, he, he went to rehab for, that's where we kind of got off the rails in terms of our schedule, uh, he attends outpatient programs basically four nights a week, four weeknights, and then occasionally on the weekend, and, and that's fantastic. Um, certainly, as I said in our announcement episode a long time ago, you know, uh, the priority for me and for him, and, and I would assume for all of you in the audience, uh, is for him to be happy and healthy. So that's that's number one. So um, with that kind of schedule, with being busy four nights a week um, on top of work and just regular life, it doesn't leave a ton of time to watch uh, two-hour uh, two episodes of Nitro because uh, May 27th, the episode that we left off on that we'll get back to, um, that's when we moved to two hours or Nitro moves to two hours. So to watch two hours, review them, and then come to my house once a week to record on it, that just doesn't fit in with that schedule. Um so what we're hoping is that when those four days move down to three days a week, um, that then we'll get back up and recording new episodes and reviewing Nitro. And honestly, um, though I feel like losing the gimmick of coming out on, on the 20th anniversary of the original airing of the episode, uh, it's disappointing to lose that gimmick. Um, just for a marketing purposes, it really helped. It helped to go on Reddit and say, you know, 20 years ago this happened. And if you want to hear us talk about it, here's a link to the podcast. So that'll hurt a little bit. Um, but honestly, it's kind of freeing at the same time because keeping up with a weekly podcast, um, was daunting and I still want it to be a weekly show. And I hope that when we come back, we'll be a weekly show, but if we miss a week here or there, um, and you know, in an episode takes two weeks to do, it just won't feel like the end of the world because we won't be always running on that, uh, anniversary deadline. So honestly, um, it's going to be a very freeing feeling in a lot of ways, uh, when we're back up and recording. But in order, like I said, to reward all of you who still have uh, a subscription to our feed, you've got this in your podcast app or on SoundCloud or what have you, I wanted to put out some good content. Um, I'd thought about recording some stuff about just me talking by myself uh, about the 2002 brand split era in the wake of the um, upcoming brand split that's been announced by WWE uh, I've been going back and watching via the network all the Raws and Smackdowns from uh, the original draft onward. And that's been a really cool experience, but um, it's it's hard as much as uh, some of you <laughs> who are aware of how much I can talk. Um, this may surprise you, but it's hard to just do this where I'm just sitting without someone to bounce off of, without a, a conversation happening. Um, so the appeal of sitting here and sharing my thoughts by myself, it just... Um, you know, it sounded like a good idea at the time. I even posted on Facebook about it, but unfortunately, it's just I can never quite sit down to do it. I, I just don't have the enthusiasm to talk by myself. Um, but what I remembered that I had today that I think will be great to share, um, this is an episode of an earlier podcast that I had done with a friend named Mike Dernberger, Michael Dernberger, excuse me. Uh, he He's a fan of this show, 20 Years of Nitro, and uh, I, know, I know he does not like going by Mike. Uh, Michael Dernberger and I, we had a show called The Bookends Podcast. And on The Bookends Podcast, we would have a guest on 
uh, each week or each episode. It, it certainly didn't happen weekly. Um, but each episode, and we would talk to them about something they were passionate about, and we would find bookends to that conversation. So the beginning and the end of, of sort of where that passion was. And one of our uh, early guests was Dave, my, the co-host of the show. And Dave came and he uh, naturally wanted to talk about wrestling. And the way we framed those bookends is we talked about the first WrestleMania that Dave had ever seen, which was WrestleMania VI, um, the ultimate challenge between Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. And then we were going to talk in that same episode about WrestleMania 30, which at the time we recorded the episode was the most recent WrestleMania that Dave had seen. Now, that doesn't mean, um, you know, now we're listening to 2016. Dave still watches wrestling. He's, he's seen WrestleMania 31 and 32, but at the time it was the most recent. Um, so, of course, that's the one, uh, the sort of ascension, the miracle on Bourbon Street, as WWE chose to brand it with Daniel Bryan uh, winning the title in the main event. Now, as you'll hear in this episode, we talked about WrestleMania 6 at such length that we didn't get to WrestleMania 30. Uh, and that means that I have a follow-up episode that I'm going to release on um, this feed next week. So the next two weeks, you're going to get long conversations about wrestling featuring me and Dave and our good friend Michael Dernberger. Uh, Dernberger was actually the friend of mine that stepped in and tried to help record an episode when um, I mentioned on our announcement episode where I announced our hiatus. He had, he had valiantly tried to come in and, and fill in for Dave, and it just didn't quite click. Um, you know. Uh, anyway, I've gone over all that. But you can hear on this podcast how funny Dernberger is, what a, a great guy he is. And, and the Bookends podcast is also kind of on somewhat a hiatus. We, we had a very lax recording schedule because it was always difficult scheduling something with me, uh, him, and a guest. But I really hope that uh, we'll be getting new episodes of that out soon. But if you happen to like uh, this episode, you can certainly search the Bookends podcast on any um, podcast app and SoundCloud, certainly iTunes, you should be able to find us. And we've got, I think, nine or ten episodes. Uh, it was a lot of fun to record. I, I certainly want to get more episodes. But for you, the 20 years of Nitro audience, I thought uh, I'd restrict it to just this wrestling stuff. I don't want to clog your feed with our conversations on Ben Folds 5 or Super Mario Brothers. Um, but I hope you'll enjoy this. What, what I like about this, and I think that you will enjoy too, is um, rather than focusing on Nitro specifically, we... Re- we use this as a conversation to talk a lot about just what we like about wrestling in general, how Dave and I both got into wrestling, um, what we like about it. And that conversation really hits home in uh, the WrestleMania 30 discussion, too, because I thought uh, so much of that show really encapsulated what it means uh, to be a wrestling fan and why this stuff means so much. So what you're going to hear after I sort of fade out on this is a brief intro to that show that I recorded um, because I I realized after I'd recorded that episode with Dave and and Dernberger that I had never introed like the premise of the show. So when I stop talking, you're going to hear me uh, intro the premise of the Bookends podcast and then we'll go into that episode with Dave. So I really hope you enjoy it. Um, If you have ideas for other bonus content that we could do in the future or that I could do by myself, I guess, um, in the meantime, because I would like to keep putting out something on a, on a somewhat frequent basis until we're back up with the podcast. You can hit us up at uh, 20 years of nitro at gmail.com or on Twitter or Facebook. Um, those of you, by the way, who did reach out when our hi- hiatus was announced and sent your best wishes to Dave and just kind of checked in and made sure that everything was okay. Um, that was really, that really meant the world to us. It was just, um, great to know that there are people out there that listen and that you're, uh, making connections, you know, beyond just talking about wrestling and maybe you guys are laughing or enjoying hearing us talk about it or whatever, but that you honestly have people out there who, 
um, our thing about you is people, I, I guess. I don't mean to make this too maudlin or sentimental, but it uh, it, it was great um, getting those responses. So we, we, we sincerely appreciate it. Can't wait to come back at you um, with more Nitro, especially now that the WWE Network has the entirety of Nitro now uploaded. Um, so we will be back. Uh, rest assured that we are not, uh, this is not a permanent hiatus um, and that there is a very... A, uh, real set plan for us to come back. We just don't have an exact date for you. But in the meantime, I hope that you enjoy this discussion of WrestleMania 6, The Ultimate Challenge. Hey, you're about to listen to the Bookends Podcast. Today is our episode with a good friend Dave Amontorp talking about WrestleMania. One thing we realized after recording the show is we never explained the format of our program. Each week we have a different topic, a pop culture obsession, be it a TV show or a band or a movie, and we find a way to bookend the conversation by talking about the beginning and the end. In this case for Dave, it's the first WrestleMania that he ever saw, WrestleMania 6, and the most recent he watched, which was WrestleMania 30 in 2014. So, enjoy the show and thanks for listening to the Bookends Podcast. It's the Bookends Podcast! With your hosts, Tim Root and Michael Dernberger. Our guest today, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing today, Dernberger? Hey, Timbuktu. <laughs> yes. Uh, has anybody ever called you that? Just now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm, I'm good. Spring is about to sp- spring. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, was telling, I was telling producer Andy uh, before... Before you got here, that I've declared next week the end of winter. It's supposed to be in the fifties, and that's it. I'm done. There's there's no more winter. It's not coming back. I'm ready. When you start wearing, <clears throat> when you start wearing shorts, do you never go back? Do you ever? Y- yes, I definitely. When it's shorts weather, it's shorts weather. Yeah. Do you ever see that guy though? Who like when it's 35 in February, he's wearing shorts. Like he's really optimistic. Right. Yeah. What is with that guy? You're not that guy? No, I'm not that guy. I actually saw someone today when I was at the grocery store. They, He was wearing shorts, but he also had tights on underneath it. Well, that's just a hot look. Yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously. But. It's trending. So before we go any further, that voice you heard describing his wonderful trip to the grocery store was our guest for today, Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you? I'm doing good. I am a big fan of your show tim thank you i listen uh, to all three parts of the podcast and oh i also had an anecdote that i was going to share because you had mentioned something during your intro podcast yeah um i can't remember exactly how the story was going but you were mentioning like awkward underwear situations like in middle (laughs) school (laughs) yes (laughs) yep yep (laughs) so I was actually really glad that that was in the intro episode and not a lot of people, I think, listened to that. But no, let's bring it up now to make sure everyone hears our underwear stories. <laughs> right. So they have to go back for reference. Exactly. <laughs> right. I'm just trying to help. Um, so anyway, I imagine that basically every kid, uh, every guy starts off wearing tidy whities mm-hmm. Yeah. And at some point, you get to that age where you do you decide to move on to boxers. Well, it's then uh, going... going uh, Diapers to underwear, I think whitey tighties is the natural transition for a yeah. parent to make. You're not, you're not like a fucking just slick three year old wearing boxers, just like oh yeah. <laughs> like, no, mom, I don't want to wear those. I look like a dork. 
I want to get Desmond a pair of boxers now. Now, <laughs> yeah, daddy. Awesome. So then, no. So I, then I you go, so. you go from your sweet. Yeah. So you go. The transition I think goes from like superhero underwears, mm-hmm. whitey tighties, to whitey whitey tighties, and then mm-hmm. as you were saying, to the boxers. Yeah. So I believe it was either like seventh or eighth grade, like middle school, when all those changes are occurring. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> so I decided to wear boxers, but. Uh, it just didn't feel totally comfortable for me. So I wore tidy whities and boxers at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and I did it for, I think it was like about a week. That yeah. is exactly the kind of shit that middle schoolers force you to do. Just stuff that you know is unnatural, but you do it because you're going to get ridiculed. But if they knew what you were actually doing, you would get ridiculed so much worse. Right. So, so Dave... Uh, what is our topic for today? Our topic today is professional wrestling. Yep, today we're talking about professional wrestling. Specifically, our bookends are going to be, uh, Dave, you came with us the idea of watching the first WrestleMania that you ever watched, WrestleMania 6. Upon the examination of the galaxies of space, images begin to appear. Images of strange and powerful forces. But of all the forces in the universe, the two most powerful, Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior, prepare to explode. Champion versus champion, title for title. It's the ultimate challenge. It's WrestleMania. And then uh, the last WrestleMania you ever watched, which you're still watching them, uh, so the last would be the most current which was last April's WrestleMania 30. What was your what got you into wrestling? Um uh, I was trying to figure that out. Um I know that my my dad probably watched a little bit, not a whole lot. He he mentioned one wrestler a lot named uh, Baron Von Raschke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he was uh in the AWA. AWA was a wrestling promotion that was based in Minneapolis um up until I think like the early 90s. Yep, so to give a very quick history for anyone listening, just, just how the wrestling, uh, professional wrestling in America has gone, it started as a very territorial uh, sport, I guess. For lack of a better term, I'm going to call it sport. Uh, no one under this table is under the illusion that it is a legitimate sport, but I don't how always... How dare you? <laughs> uh, industry, uh, entertainment organization, whatever. Don't it was, it was territorial, so you'd have people state by state. Uh, you'd have uh, Vincent McMahon Sr., uh, running the New York Territory, Vern Gagne running the Minneapolis Territory, the American Wrestling Association, others like Mid-South Wrestling, uh, Deep South Wrestling. Uh, so all over the country there were territories. Then in the 80s, Vince McMahon Jr. bought out the w- the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, the New York Territory, at which point he decided to take things national uh, because he saw the advent of cable television would help uh, achieve that goal. He took all the best stars from the various territories, and then eventually, when he was making enough money, he would pay those territories to just stop running shows, and then monop- thus monopolizing, essentially monopolizing American the wrestling. industry. And uh, Baron von Raschke, who Dave mentioned, uh, and the the AWA, the American Wrestling Association, based out of Minneapolis, was actually uh, one of the most powerful territories um, in the country. Surprisingly, you know, we're not necessarily a huge market, but wrestling was huge here. Many of the names that we'll see as we talk about WrestleMania 6 especially spent time in the AWA 
And uh, they were one of the last ones to finally close up shop and sell to Vince McMahon. Yeah. Um, so I would say that I started uh, watching wrestling in 1989. And so I was six and my brother was five. And that was something that my brother and I really liked to do together. And I, we would just be down in the basement watching like superstars or wrestling or is it was WWF for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I know that NWA was on, I, I don't, I, I'm not sure as far as, uh, if we got those channels or not, but right. it was N it NWA. Uh, that was before it was WCW. It was known as NWA, the national wrestling Alliance. Okay. So this before or after the rap group, <laughs> before the rap group you bring up an interesting point because uh when you're young it seems like you kind of anything where there's black and white you take a side like i like coke therefore i hate pepsi right. i like nike therefore i hate reebok and uh when i was a kid i liked wwf therefore i hated wcw i would occasionally watch it but like Oh man, their guys are old. Like Ric Flair was always their champion, and he looked like my dad's like hypothetical buddy. He just didn't look like mm -hmm. the steroid freaks that Vince McMahon was peddling out there. And when WCW came along and had Monday Nitro, uh, which was their their regular like every week show, um, I would just flip between the two of them, and so I watched both like every single week. I'll, I'll go back to 1989. Uh, when my brother and I were watching, because something I, I realized when I was kind of doing my own research and talking to my brother about watching wrestling is that because with him being my younger brother, anytime he had a favorite of something, I could not, it, that could not be my favorite too. Right, right. Right. So he was a big Hulk Hogan fan, like right away. Yep. And so immediately I'm like, I hate Hulk Hogan. Mm -hmm. And so I was really a really big Undertaker fan. Mm. And, and it was like, it, it happened with a lot of things too. It was uh, like with the Ninja Turtles, mm -hmm. he was a big Michelangelo fan. So I couldn't like Michelangelo. So I liked Raphael instead. Yeah. Which I, I don't get like why more kids didn't like Leonardo. Shouldn't you have? Oh, Leonardo was a dick. I don't want to go like, down that rabbit hole, but <laughs> shouldn't you have like Shredder or like uh, Bebop or Rocksteady or something like, that? like really stick it to him? Because you're both cheering for the same team. Mm -hmm. It's kind of weird to. I mean, I, I get it. You don't want to like the exact same thing, but if you really wanted to stick it in his craw, Bebop. <laughs> I'm a big Bebop fan. Who wasn't? But the only thing is, like, with Shredder and with, like, Bebop and Rocksteady is that they weren't on every single week, though. That's true. Ooh, that's a good point. Uh -huh. Yeah, what are you going to do when that guy shows up with the Mousers or whatever? You're just going to have no one to cheer for. Right. Uh, I just have to tune out. Oh, yeah. The guy with the Mousers. Yeah, I can't remember. Baxter Stockman? Yeah, Baxter. Definitely. Wow. I was like, I went from having no idea to instantly remembering right. his full name. Uh, uh, this this is what I was going to say before I... I Totally messed up my words. Everybody knew about wrestling with its its influx into pop culture. I think solely based on the Rocky two, three, and three. Rocky three. Does he? Oh yeah, Rocky three. He fights Hulk in the beginning. Yep. Hulk Hogan in like a charity uh, uh, match that's just to raise money. And you see Hulk Hogan is just gigantic compared to Sylvester Stallone, mm -hmm. which I think most humans are. 
Like as yeah, long Sly as is not a big guy. Not a Neanderthal. And then uh and then of course Mr. T Clubber Lane is in it as well. Uh so that was pretty good. And then Hulk Hulkamania, Hulk Hogan, he was like he had a series of movies that he was doing and I liked mm-hmm. those Suburban Commando and was he like Mr. Mom or something like that? Mr. Nanny? Mr. Nanny. Mr. Yeah. Nanny yeah, Mr. Really Nanny. Um, Mr. Mom was uh, Michael Keaton. That is yes. Uh, so there were some there like I knew about Hulk Hogan and that kind of stuff, but I didn't really get into that to- that time of wrestling in the 80s. But then when I was in middle school, the really thing the thing that caught on besides wearing boxers instead of underwear uh, was WCW wrestling, this is when like NWO was all the rage. I think it must must have been like towards the end of middle school, maybe eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade or something like that. So it became really cool to like wrestling again. And I got into it then because of all the NWO stuff. So there were, there was a period where you were watching wrestling. There was a period when I was really liking, really liking wrestling, moved into freshman year of high school. And then that's when everybody made a quick turn into liking WWO. F instead of WCW because Stone Cold Steve Austin. I think it was because Stone Cold said yeah, so. The so-called the, the Attitude Era, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Which was is the boom period of professional wrestling. It was the the biggest audience they've ever had was around 1998 when you would have millions of people watching WCW to see what the NWO and Sting were going to do. Yep, and you had millions more people watching WWF watch uh, to see what Stone Cold and then. Uh, within about a year, The Rock, who it, became the big guy, name, yep, and and you had and then millions more who were flipping back and forth between them or taping one and and watching entire uh, both shows. The Rock was huge, and also D Generation X as the the heels, the bad guys. Um, I got into it a ton, and at that period of my life, my mom also really got into watching wrestling with me. Really, we would we would watch Monday Night Raw together. And uh, the people that she loved the most were Scotty Too Hottie yep. and uh, was his name Fly- Flying Brian something or I can't remember the dude's there name. There was Flying Brian Pillman. He was okay. Pretty he was a different guy. That was way earlier. Man. So it was Scotty Too Hottie and some other guy who were a tag team. And my mom got really excited about wrestling. So there was this event taking place at the Target Center. She took me and my sister uh, to go. Of course, she went with us. And we got there, and I thought it was we were going to be way in the nosebleeds. And it was crazy. We were second row. We were like at almost as close as you could possibly be. It wasn't a televised event. It was just a touring thing. So yeah. it wasn't like a Monday Night Raw or a Thursday, whatever they had at the time, Thursday Night Wrestling. And uh, here, the one thing that I remember, well, I remember a lot of it, but the, the funniest part was when the big show came out mm-hmm. and he's walking out and, you know, he gets within five feet of us. So close. And you can't you, you can't fully uh, appreciate how huge this human being is until you're that close to him. And everybody's going nuts and standing and everything. And my mom leans over to me. And at the time, I'm 15 years old. And she says, Michael, look at how big his testicles are. <laughs> and it's true. They were like two grapefruits in his tights. It was insane. And as my mom whispered that to me, I was just thinking, yeah, of course I'm looking at his testicles. <laughs> Everybody is. We, you don't say it. We yeah, all, we all you didn't do it. need to whisper it to me. We were all looking at his testicles. So uh, that was just a really fun experience. Um, yeah, and I remember. I sounds think, amazing. Yeah. Like I remember, I think I got 
a, I either got a rock shirt or a stone cold shirt. I my my personal experience similar to Dave. I don't remember exactly what keyed me onto it, but it must have been my dad because you said you thought your dad was a little bit of a fan. My dad was a huge AWA fan. Um, okay. Loved the Crusher. Loved Baron von Raschke, uh, Nick Bonkwickle. All those kind of Minnesota legendary names. Um, he even there's footage of him like, you know, reel to reel video footage of him having backyard wrestling matches that he would do with his friends and like my uncle, a couple of my uncles. Supposedly, my uncle Tom one time got hit with a brick and declared that his character was dead. He said that like <laughs> getting hit with a brick killed his character and he would never do their backyard wrestling matches again. Wasn't really called backyard wrestling even at that time. It was just them screwing around in a park, yeah, having characters and and cutting promos, um, cutting a promo that that's just wrestling speak for when you're when the guy's yelling at the camera about who he's gonna beat up. That's called cutting a promo. Um, so they would just yeah. So my dad was it, it must have been my dad that got me into it, being that he was a huge fan of the old school uh, wrestling stuff. And this I I'm almost positive that this was also the first WrestleMania that I saw. I definitely remember this ordering this, and I don't remember ordering any prior to that. So yeah, WrestleMania six was where I started as well. Do you, how much was a pay per view back then? Like fifteen bucks? Probably that. Probably about that. Yeah, if I had to guess. So WrestleMania six was held April first, nineteen ninety, at the Toronto Skydome in front of an announced crowd of sixty seven thousand six hundred seventy eight people. Whether it was actually that or just something close. Up for debate. Wrestling is, is notorious for working their attendance is, numbers. A is that bit. including the wrestlers, the managers, and the <laughs> referees, and the announcers? It and Studios, ring crew and staff. truck. Oh yeah, <laughs> catering. That's a lot of people to consider. In fact, if you actually notice, uh, between when they start the show and they announce the crowd. Uh, and then when they remind you of the crowd number at the very end of the show, bef- uh, prior to the main event, they add about 4,000 people oh. just during. <laughs> so apparently during that show, 4,000 more people have wandered in, according to uh, Gorilla Monsoon. Maybe it was word of mouth on the streets. Right. <laughs> this is really you guys got to get in here. <laughs> so I think what we'll do is we'll run through the card. We'll just uh, see if we've got anything to say about any of these matches. Uh, talk about some of the personalities. Uh, first, we had Rick the Model Martel versus Coco Beware. Who comes out with his uh, signature parrot, Frankie? The first thing I gotta say, why did they think it was a good idea to put a fake ring on top of a forklift and have a guy drive a forklift with them just standing and going, woo? Because it's amazing. What are you woo. talking about? That's one of my favorite things about this no, show. Oh, man. I like the, the wrestlers, ring. Uh, I, it, I didn't, the Ultimate Warrior just sprinted into the ring. Well, that was part of his gimmick. He like, he was sprinted such, everywhere. He was such an intense warrior. That's so funny. I'm sprinted sprinting. to the ring. And then because he was such a steroid freak, he would be out of breath before every match he was in started. Right. Because he would run to the ring and then he'd shake the ropes vigorously. I, I guess, at the, so this was in, you said... It was 1990. 1990, yes. Uh, maybe at that time it seemed like that was an extravagant thing, but to me it was just like I was I was kept on looking for when the camera would move over a little bit so I could see the guy who was driving the forklift. <laughs> <laughs> I I thought it was really cool. I love those entrances. Yeah, and I I think it was a it ended up being a pretty iconic like look to that particular yes. WrestleMania yes. too. Anyway, so Rick, Rick the model. Uh, 
He's not a great wrestler. He's got an amazing gimmick, though. He's a model who's full of himself, and he is endorsing, uh, perpetually endorsing a cologne yep. called Arrogance that he keeps in a little atomizer, uh, like, spray bottle, and that he, of course, always used to blind his opponent. And one thing I love about this supposed cologne, uh, Arrogance, is as he's coming to the ring, he is just spraying himself over and over again. If, if that it's was an water. actual cologne, yeah. he would be... No human could withstand wearing that much cologne. It would be incredibly stinky. And it was really good. Like for Rick the Model Martel, you could tell that he was a model because he had a giant button on his coat that said, yes, I am a model. Right. As though his appearance, you immediately want to ask if he does modeling. Well, and it was, it's funny too. That's a good point. (laughs) It's a great example too of how wrestling will take a guy who you already know and then just pretend that he's a different guy because he had already been wrestling as Rick Martel. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in a tag team called Power and Glory. Strike Force. Strike Force. Yes. yes. Thank you. Power and Glory was somebody else. Uh, was Rick Martel and who else was the other half of Strike Force? That was Tito Santana. Yes. So we already knew Rick Martel mm-hmm. and then that tag team got kind of stale and they broke up and then he just went, now he was a model and just accepted everybody. That's the way it goes. Yeah, I don't. I can't remember if they ever explained or if he had um, those vignettes, which are promotional videos for wrestlers to get, kind of get their character or story across. Right. I, I don't remember if he had videos like that or if he just showed up one day with uh, arrogance. Yeah, sometimes they'll they'll give you an explanation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll deign to come down to, to respect the audience enough to give you a reason why this is happening mm-hmm. other times that it just they won't and you just have to deal with it because it's wrestling because because wrestling is the reason why half the stuff happens well i i believed it you felt like he was a model you felt he was yeah a guy. he's a yeah, good looking yeah. guy well probably <clears throat> he had to have been a part-time model because his other part-time job was wrestling right he couldn't have been a full-time model that was a very big thing in wrestling up until probably around the attitude era was your gimmick was a job. And so apparently you had whatever job this was, and there was everything from model to um, uh, trash guy. Oh, yeah, there was a trash guy. Yeah, Duke, Duke the Dumpster Drozzy. Uh, there, were, <laughs> um, there was a dentist. A yep, there was a dentist. What's a Drozzy? That was his last name. Oh. Duke Drozzy was his name. and his, was his a Dumpster Drozzy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, nah, there, nah, there, was, uh, there was Isaac Yankum, DDS. Yep, evil dentist. dentist. How do you spell Yankum? It was Y-A-N-K-E-M, something <laughs> like that. Um, it, was, yeah. it was not a very subtle joke. Evil, evil country music singer. So for a very long time, there were wrestling gimmicks that were just jobs other than wrestler. Bird wrangler. I think eventually they realized that that makes you look so lo-fi. It makes it look like you can be the intercontinental heavyweight champion of the world. Right. But at the same time, you need to supplement your income by being a trash man. Didn't they? <laughs> at the time? At the time, no. I would say oh, that yeah. anyone contracted in the WWF... Well, for one thing, you wouldn't have time. Because these guys travel literally yeah, 300 yeah, yeah. days a year. Yeah, definitely. Anything to say about Coco Beware? He was, he was what's known in wrestling as a jobber. A guy whose job is to go out and lose... Make yep. other people look better. Like he was the, at least. Uh, what? Why can't I think of the name of the team that plays against the Harlem Globetrotters? Oh, the Washington Generals. Yeah, the Washington Generals. Yes, he very much. They are the Washington Generals of wrestling. Uh, he was in a little bit better position than most 
because he at least had a personality and a gimmick. He had a bird. A parrot. Um, a parrot. Next uh, next match, we had Demolition versus the Colossal Connection of Haku and Andre the Giant. So this one was a bit confusing to me as a uh, noob. How so? Uh, well, it was obvious that uh, Demolition were the favored wrestlers and that the Colossus crew... Collision. Colossal connection. Colossal's connection. Or as Mean Gene calls them prior to the match, the colostomy connection. The colostomy connection. <laughs> I didn't uh, catch that. They, they uh, <laughs> were not favored. I love Andre the Giant. He's awesome. Maybe at this time, I mean, I knew, I actually looked into it and found out afterwards that this was his last ever WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. It was his last televised match. Oh, yeah, his last televised match, which makes sense. I mean, it looked like he could barely walk and he never got tagged into the match. But the guys from Demolition, they just seemed like dickheads. And uh, the way <laughs> the way that they yelled, they were just like, We're here, and we've got voices that are crazy and raspily. And anytime I hear a raspily voice, it's like, you're the, you're the fucking heel. Yeah. <laughs> well, Raspully? Uh, rasputiny. Rasputiny. Uh, qualities of Rasputin. Uh, yeah, no, I see what you're saying, that they seem more like, uh, to use wrestling parlance uh demolition seems more like the heels where you associate andre you know you have positive memories of me so you think of him as the baby face or the good guy uh but andre pretty much for his entire run in what we know of as the wwf he was a bad guy he uh he had come back to the wwf after being kind of semi-retired to main event against hulk hogan at wrestlemania 3 which is really what catapulted hulk hogan to be one of the biggest names in the world and, and no exaggeration. Um, so he had been a bad guy since 1983. Pretty much this entire time since then. Is it then. because he's a foreigner? It's because he's massive and it's it's easier to have a giant monster of a guy be a bad guy than right. a good guy. Sure. But at this point, his... Uh, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. His acromalgy uh, was getting really bad. He if The whole match, he's leaning on the ropes. He Every match, he does the thing that he does in this match where he finds an excuse to get knocked backwards and get his arms wrapped in the ropes. Yep. And it's just an excuse for him to sit down. It's, I mean, he needs to, he needs to get off his feet. He basically, his body, he was growing until the day he died. Um, yep. It's a, it's a problem with your pituitary gland and guys like the big show or another recent wrestler from India called the great Kali, who was even bigger than the big show. They had a surgery, uh, some kind of surgery done to their pituitary gland yeah, it's like that it's, halts it's them from growing. It's a tumor inside of your brain that's pressing against it, and essentially, you never go through puberty. So, so yeah, so poor growing. Andre just kept going and going. Or you never finish puberty. Is that what it is? Interesting. You're just like constantly going through puberty. So, um, so yeah, he's he's no longer really able to move. Uh, it's really just kind of depressing seeing. Yeah, that state. sucked. It's even more depressing because it's his last televised match, but he hangs around for quite a while. I think he's even at the next WrestleMania as a manager. And at that point, he's on crutches. And it's really kind of sad to see. Yeah. Another thing um, to bring up as far as demolition is concerned, um, uh, a popular thing that Vince McMahon would like to do when he lost talent is to bring in characters that kind of mimicked the, the talent that they lost because they used to have the the Legion of Doom, um, also known as the Road Warriors, and um, they were at in the eighties they were like one of the biggest tag teams that that ever was. Yes. Yep. But then they went back to WCW, and 
in their place, they, they got demolition. So then they gave him like the face pain. They gave him kind of, that's exactly what I was thinking as I saw him. I was like, eh, these guys are like <clears throat> rip off version of the road warriors. Here's yep. a question I have to the two experts. Um, the purpose of the manager at, th- at this point in time, uh, these guys are managed by Bobby, the brain Heenan. Yep. He's part of the family. Do they just give a manager to people who suck at talking? Is that the whole point? Like Pretty... people who are shitty at speaking to a camera? Cause the, yes, usually that is the reason why. Because Andre the Giant had a thick accent, and the dude that yes. he's wrestling with is also supposed to be some foreigner. Haku, Haku. Mm-hmm. So the I think the idea is like these guys can barely speak English. They need somebody to talk for them. Yes, that okay. is usually the reason for a manager. I know stuff. Yeah, so, and, and another thing for the managers, especially with the heels, is it kind of always presents that element at ringside that they could interfere and give uh, the heel unfair advantage. So. I think that's kind of another part where it's like the the hero has to overcome not just one but two obstacles in order to win. And managers also are one of the biggest lost arts of wrestling. There's very few managers now, and I don't know why. There's got to be some reason that they think it's not a good thing, but I don't know what it is because the guys that they do have that do it now, there's really only three that I can think of, and all three are incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I That's don't know why opinion. this isn't something that they go for more often. We'll, we'll get to this later because I, I, I have some, I have a, a, a an egregious, ooh, a disagreement. Whoa. All right, this, but that doesn't come along until WrestleMania 30. First, I wanted to talk real quick about Haku um, yeah. because he's he's not necessarily a big presence. He's doing all the work in this match, as you pointed out, because he's Andre's partner. His job is to get there in the ring and do everything, so Andre doesn't have to. Haku is one of the craziest stories in wrestling two stories i want to get real quick bobby the brain heenan i believe it was said that he one time in a bar fight saw haku reach into a guy's mouth and pull out two of his bottom teeth he just reached into his mouth and pulled out his teeth that's insane that's illegal yes (laughs) yes it is unless he's that evil dentist but i bet that guy didn't go around saying that wrestling was fake was he haku dds (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's my point that one guy did not go around saying wrestling was fake the I'm other sh- the other great haku story uh they were in like south america or or some other kind of um second or third world situation and one of the wrestlers that he was walking around with kicked dirt on a guy who was digging a ditch just to like laugh at this poor peasant guy and haku thought that was so disrespectful and got so mad that he got in a fight with the other wrestler and ended up poking the other wrestler's eye out of its socket so that's more Haku, illegal. Haku is when you talk about guys in wrestling who were legitimate, tough SOBs that you would not want to mess with. Haku is always listed as one of the very top. Yeah. The first, the, the way I knew right away uh, that he was a legit tough guy, he was barefoot. Oh, that's true. A lot of the, um, there's a, a long history in wrestling of Pacific Islanders, which he is one. He's from Tonga. Uh, of being involved in wrestling, and very often they're they're barefoot to emphasize how foreign and crazy they are. And I suppose I was going to save it for later, but this is as good a point um, as any. Dave, I was wondering when, how do you handle? Because as a wrestling fan, if people find out you like wrestling, how do you handle, or or do you hear it so much anymore? People saying, "Well, that stuff's fake," or you know it's fake, right? Or the many permutations of that question. Yeah, I, I don't hear it really that much anymore. I think everyone understands that. And I think people understand that wrestling fans understand that now. Right. Um, I don't, that didn't used to be the case. I think I would say it's probably somewhere in like the mid nineties. Um, 
we watched a we watch a an A and E like program about it. Mm-hmm. It was like the um, the Unreal Story of Professional Wrestling. Yeah, I've seen that. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and they and they they talked a lot about how it's it's about the entertainment factor and but I, a lot of the stuff they do is real. It's just that they it's pre planned. Right. And I, I yeah again I can't say that a lot of people say that as as though I don't understand. Yeah. I think it's such a dumb criticism because yeah. I always want to say to anyone that, that thinks that way, like, you know, Die Hard is fake, right? Mm-hmm. Die Hard's right. fucking awesome. Who gives a shit that it's fake? Like, and, and I think that the word specifically fake is very disrespectful to the guys in the ring mm-hmm. because they're, ta- they're uh, inflicting a lot of pain on themselves yeah. uh, for, for our entertainment. And if you don't like it, that's fine. I, I would never try to argue that anyone should like something they don't like. But to say that it's fake, uh, is it's just such a shitty way of describing it. It's it's predetermined, and uh, the moves are designed, in the most case, to be as safe as possible so you can do something to another guy that looks like it hurts while he feels fine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, after just falling so many times or or some of the things that are, they try to be as safe as possible, but it is just going to get hurt, you know? And so to say, well, that's fake, it's just such a just such a dumb way of brushing off a form of entertainment. Everything's fake. Unless reality the, television is fake. Thou you know? doth protest too much. Well, it's... Usually, you, Tim, usually uh, you're the one riding the train, but I'm going to steer this bad boy right on track. We got to talk some more about WrestleMania 6. Okay. Specifically, because you don't need to, you don't need to get me... That's a whole nother podcast altogether where you, where the three of us get together and we discuss wrestling and you guys get me to fall in love with wrestling. Sure. There's an inherent part of being a wrestling fan that's defensive. Because it was definitely... Like, it's, yeah. it's a hey, part of it. It was, it was enjoyable. It was fun. And I know, uh, spe- I know for sure, Tim, that you took a group of people out to a wrestling event. And you wrote up a synopsis of every match. <laughs> and... Uh, and and people that had never watched wrestling or didn't care about wrestling had a blast. And I think yeah. that's the bottom line is just like, hey, man, if you're having fun, if you're enjoying yourself, that's all that matters. And if other people are having fun, why shit on their parade? That's right. the thing that I don't right. get about it, right? Yeah. Don't don't get in someone's face and be pissed off at them. Look, man, if someone's happy and someone's having fun and they're not hurting anybody else with their happiness, just leave it alone. Let it be. I think if you're willing to be open to an experience that anyone would have fun at one wrestling show. Mm-hmm. They might by the second one be bored with it and that's yeah. fine. Oh, I but had a blast. There's no one on earth that would not have fun at one wrestling show. If they just gave themselves up to the experience, go look at the big shows testicles and tell me <laughs> you didn't have a great time. I challenge you. So Darren, you do make a good point though. Cause unless we want uh, a six part episode on these, yeah, we got to move, go we gotta move this bad boy along. Next was earthquake versus Hercules. Oh uh, God. Earthquake. I can't remember if this, if it was earthquake. I think it was, yeah. it might've been one of the other larger wrestlers. Where was his penis? <laughs> his tights were so tight. You spent a lot of t- time. Look, I, how could you not wonder about uh, it? You're wearing super yeah. tight tights. <laughs> He, his tights are disgustingly it's, ugly, It's almost too. as if the penis went inside the body. He got incredible tights later on that had, like, a Richter scale thing across his huge fat belly okay. uh, and said earthquake. But at this point, he's just wearing these ugly powder blue 
tights, and then they normally have the only uh, adornment they normally had was a Canadian flag, uh, but that was removed for this show because it's in Canada and he's a bad guy. Yeah. So they took it off for this. Um, I did want to say that the best part of this match, and maybe even the best part of the entire show, because this kind of summarizes the shit that I love in wrestling, uh, Earthquake does a move, or not even a move, he does a thing where to like telegraph that he's Earthquake and he's a big fat guy, he jumps up he and stops, down yeah. and he shakes the ring. And normally he does it as sort of a signal to the crowd that he's about to do his finishing move. Here he does it when Hercules is actually standing up. So it's not for his finishing move. And Hercules, I don't know if this was planned or if he is a genius, he grabs the ropes and acts like he's off balance. <laughs> he acts as if this is a real earthquake that's happening in the ring. And he, he can't stand up. It's amazing. That's such an incredible little moment of, improv. of ring psychology. Improv, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's I saw that and I rewound it like five times because it's so funny. And Earthquake is a good example at the time of the only thing that was important was the guy was really big because yes. everything about Earthquake was just awful to look at. Yes. He was, and he's, he's he was not an a small, ugly man. He was not handsome. And no. he's not uh, low on the card either because he's he's in the show twice. Later he comes on uh, with another guy and then he attacks a guy after he's a like match. He's like a bodyguard. And they're know. building him up because uh, later this year at SummerSlam 1990, he faces Hulk Hogan. So they're building him up right now. This, this show, part of the purpose of this show is that we're going to get Earthquake over with the crowd as a, a legitimate threat to our top stars. Uh, let's see here. This match, I'll give two and a half stars. I'll give it five stars for the the spot with the <laughs> out of balance Hercules. Uh, next we had Brutus Beefcake defeating Mr. Perfect. Uh, this was kind of a nothing match. It's it was Mr. Perfect's first televised loss, which the announcers don't mention, That's which is weird. weird because it's the end of his perfect record. I He's don't... the first guy from Minnesota, I think, that leaves that they. No, uh, one of demolition is oh, sure. Barry Darsow, who's from Minnesota. Yeah, I uh, this was well. Of course, everybody knew Earthquake as well, but I knew Mister Perfect before watching this. Mister Perfect is my favorite wrestler of all time. I love the gimmick. I think that he's an amazing wrestler. Uh, at a time when wrestling was much more about the size of the guy and the spectacle, mm-hmm. he was one of the very few guys who was good at wrestling. If you watch yeah, this show a- as, as someone who cares about the technical craftsmanship of wrestling, sure. he's one of the only guys who's any good at it. Yeah, he was an actual wrestler, it seemed like. And he was also really good at um, making the other person's offense look really convincing, too. Yes, and he was one of the only guys in wrestling. Shawn Michaels is another one. Uh, current, we have Dolph Ziggler. Uh, these guys who realize that one way to get themselves noticed is by the way that they... Uh, in wrestling terms, bump for the other guy's offense. So the way that they make it look like they're getting the shit kicked out of them. And that ends up getting them noticed in a big way because they're getting thrown into the turnbuckle and rather than just falling forward, they get thrown into the corner and then they go up over the ropes and out onto the concrete floor. And you just think, holy shit, look at this guy. He's flying all over the place. All right, so then next we had Rowdy Roddy Piper defeat Bad News Brown. And this is... My favorite part of this particular oh WrestleMania. Oh, my God. Is it racist? I don't know. I can't tell. <laughs> Dave, why don't you tell the crowd? Uh, the crowd. That's what I'm calling our audience now. Why don't you tell the crowd uh, wh- what the fuck is going on here? Well, okay. So we first we have Bad News Brown, wh- who is African-American. 
Yeah, African Canadian, I think. African is he? I, he came from Stampede Wrestling, but I don't know if he was born in. Let's Canada say he's black. Not. He's black. <laughs> yes. So he has this feud going on with uh, Roddy Piper, and that started at the Royal Rumble, which was two months before, um, in which the Royal Rumble match might take a little bit of time to explain. Uh, it's you got to get thrown over the top rope, and there's a bunch of guys in the ring at once. Yeah. So Roddy Piper gets eliminated. And Roddy Piper turns around and he makes sure that uh, Bad News Brown gets eliminated, like illegally. So then they fight and then they decide to have a match at WrestleMania. And beforehand, they uh, Gene Okerlund decides to interview Roddy Piper, in which Roddy Piper reveals that he has painted half of his, not just half his face, but half of his entire body black. Well, ladies and gentlemen, they call him the Hot Rod. Yeah, you could say I'm the Hot Rod. Some folks call me the Hot Scott. You know, I guess I'm a little bit of both. Now that I think of it, you could say I'm a little two-faced. But you know, Bad News Brown, you just... This is so offensive. Is it offensive? I I get he's like being a Scottish warrior or whatever. No, I... No. He's well, a, I'm sure. I guess you could. Half make of that him argument. is supposed to be a black guy, and half of him is supposed to be a white guy. He, when he shows the black half to the camera for the first time, okay, he immediately starts disco dancing. Oh, <laughs> shit! I didn't catch that. I just thought he was like a Scottish warrior guy, like Mel Gibson. No, he that movie. He's been asked about it since Braveheart. Braveheart. <laughs> Braves. Braveheart. He's got a Braves heart. Uh, he he said that he did it. The reasoning behind it for him was that he thought it was kind of a sleepy feud that there wasn't the crowd wasn't into it and mm-hmm. Bad News Brown was always sort of known as a loner in the locker room a guy who was just kind of showing up and collecting a check so he did it to just kind of try to rile him up and throw him off his game and uh to get something out of him for the match he's just, he's trying to piss off Bad News Brown how about this how the hell did that paint not rub off on anybody from what I understand is that it stayed on his body for a few days. Was it actual yeah. paint? I I forget what it was, but he said he said in interviews that it did not come off. It took a while. And he went out to like the bars that night half black and half white. Yeah, how could you not? You're hanging out with like 20 guys who are 6 and a half feet tall, pure muscle, and they're just looking for excuses to beat the shit out of people to make it legit. He also, uh, in terms of, of establishing that it's definitely a race thing, during the match, he pulls out of his tights a Michael Jackson glove. Oh, yeah. yeah. Puts it on the black mm-hmm. hand and then proceeds to dance more. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this this ends in a countout because all Roddy Piper matches that he doesn't win end in... So- he never took a clean loss in the WWF. That is so which is- weird that I didn't think about it as a race thing until you just said it. I guess I must be living in such a progressive time that I was like... <laughs> It's like a Scottish warrior thing. So next up, uh, pretty quick match. Don't really have much to say about it. The Hart Foundation defeat the Bolsheviks. Uh, basically, the two Canadian Cold guys War. get applause because they beat up the evil Russian guys. Yeah. Nothing more to say about it, really. But there was a part where the Bolsheviks were in the men's shower beforehand. Uh, the Remember there was, piano were, player is going to say Oh, Steve Allen, Allen is Steve in there Allen. making fun of him, yeah. Yeah, and that's another thing that should be pointed out, at least for like their early WrestleManias, is that they were trying to put in as many celebrities yes. as possible. I didn't realize until I watched it again that like Mary Tyler Moore is at this event. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then 
Uh, Miss Elizabeth was being interviewed. Yeah, she Rhonda Barrett. She's some kind of like uh, uh, tabloid kind of columnist, uh, celebrity reporter. Before anybody cared about that shit. Yeah, yeah. she was she was a pioneer. <laughs> and the and the interview d- didn't associate at all with anything else on the show. She, like, she didn't ask her any questions that really got any really anything besides like pretty vanilla answers. Right. Um, I, I just, I forgot just how many celebrities. And then, um, was it Robert Goulet was Robert Goulet sings, sings the, the Canadian, Canadian national, national anthem, anthem. Yeah. which was really Does good. Does a hell of a job. Yeah. The part that I did like is how, uh, Jesse, the, bo- the, the crazy part about this shit. And, and this is early on in, in the wrestling is that even the announcers, they have you pick a side. There's the good guy announcer mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. bad guy announcer. Mm-hmm. And Jesse the body is the shithead who yeah. cheers for all the bad guys. Oh, he's so amazing he's, at it he's, too. He, he's getting excited about the Russian national anthem. And, uh, <laughs> and, and then the Canadian guys start beating up on the Russians. And Jesse or Jesse is making fun of uh, Gorilla Monsoon. He's like, have some respect for the national anthem. Why don't you? You're not even going to stand up for this. <laughs> It's so fucking funny. It's he, like, well, the reason he's such a good heel is that he he's, he's from right. Hollywood. What? Well, what he's saying is correct. These two guys are from a country and they're proud of where they're from. They have respect. It happens to be Russia, who we weren't great friends with at the time. Yeah, it was but right they want the to just War. sing their their uh, national anthem, mm-hmm. and these the good guys attack them during the national anthem. Yeah, but behind, from behind, they're not even looking. Nobody yeah. else had a national anthem. It was such an obvious. No, setup. well, of course, of course, but but it's it's a good point of how the the times when a heel is best is when they believe they're right. And there's a good motivation that you can understand where, man, I don't like the methods this guy's using, but I get where he's coming from. I see why he thinks that he's in the right. I just really love Jesse Ventura during this whole thing. He's incredible. Yeah. Uh, next, we had the Barbarian defeat Tito Santana. Uh, fuck that match. Who cares? Next. Next, uh, Dusty Rhodes and Sweet Sapphire defeated Randy Savage and Sensational Cherry in WrestleMania's first, I believe the WWF's first, uh, intergender tag match. When did he become Macho Man instead of Macho King? Oh, I'm sorry. He's Macho King at this show. Yeah. Uh, he became the Macho... He was the Macho Man. Then um, there's a thing in WWF. It's gone many years uh, since. I never knew that he was ever called Macho King. They used to have a thing that was... It was uh, sort of an unofficial title. It didn't come with a belt. But there was... You'd be called the King. And the first guy that I believe had it was uh, Harley Race. Mm-hmm was King Harley Race, and then he was beat by Haku. So Haku was called King Haku for a while. And then Jim Duggan beat Haku. And then I believe that Savage beat it, or Savage beat Jim Duggan and and became the Macho King. Now, making their way to the ring, the new king and queen of the World Wrestling Federation, Macho Man Randy Savage and Sensational. Yes, indeed, a double coronation. A first for the World Wrestling Federation. Here is Randy Savage, and take a look at Sensational Sherry. Are they decked out or what, McMahon? Now there's a king and queen the World Wrestling Federation can be proud of. Yeah, it was that was a very short period. Um, so yeah, it was like it was like an unofficial title that. They, it's, they didn't even really always talk about it as like a title. It just, 
you beat the guy who had that gimmick and then you like won the gimmick of being called the king. This is a really sad match because these are two legends of wrestling uh, and it's a, like no, it's a nothing comedy match. They also have paired Dusty with this very dumpy. Uh, I I mean I don't it's mean to I don't mean to smirch the poor lady, but su- sweet Sapphire and is just a sort of large African American lady, black. Uh, to use Dernberger's parlance. Well, I'm sorry. Sometimes <laughs> people who are black are not from Africa no, I, or America. I know. <laughs> so anyway, this was Elizabeth, Miss Elizabeth. Uh, she comes out with Dusty with the good guys. She's what, she's what, Macho Man's uh, real life wife. Okay, what um, makes her the first lady? I think at some point the I think a, a gorilla and Jesse call her like the first lady of wrestling or something. It was like just that? a title they came up. with. They just yeah. a nickname for it was her. Just a thing. She was hugely popular. The the woman that the tabloid woman that was interviewing <laughs> her earlier was like, "I've been around Hollywood actresses, and let me tell yeah. you, you're you're also beautiful." <laughs> oh man, when I was like. Six years like, old, though, oh, there thanks. was not a more beautiful woman on the oh, face of the planet you, than Miss Elizabeth. She was like the epitome of beauty in my mind. As and, a young and also being the first Jessica lady. Rabbit for me. Also being oh, the first lady was, was for the fact that for many, many years, she was like almost literally the only lady that was on the show at all. Oh, right. sure, sure. Yeah. It was a very male-dominated. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it wasn't until more recently that they've had like women wrestling. Yeah. And so like the intergender tag team match was probably like the only match that had a woman in it for like that entire year. Yep. And maybe for that entire decade. No, no. Women's wrestling came and went. It was at this point, they usually have a women's champion at this point. They just don't. It's just for like a couple of years. They just stopped promoting it at all. Mm-hmm. Say, was this one a, this one was a count out. This was, was a disqualification. Mm, I th- no, I think there was a pin in this one. Okay. I, th- I believe, I think Sapphire gets the pin on Sherry. Did this change? This was something that uh, Jesse, uh, or actually Gorilla made sure to talk about because Jesse was against it because of the women's movement. Uh, If a woman was in the ring, then it had to be a woman in the ring. Yes, And if a man was in the ring, did that change? Do men now wrestle women and vice versa? No, only with in uh, very rare frequency. Okay. It's only like, uh, you may be familiar since, I was going to say, you watch the Attitude Era, someone like China who looks... Like she could handle some of the men. Mm-hmm. She wrestled men. She was in the intercontinental heavyweight champion and she defeated a man to get that title and she defeated men in, to retain that title. All right. Uh, the Orient Express then defeated the Rockers. Now this, this I actually thought was racist. The Orient Express. Yeah, it was, it was just, I, I get it. You have to pin it. I mean, the Russian guys was over the top, but then the Japanese guys was a little over the top. Yeah. And- uh, this one was a disqualification. It was a countout. Yeah, the 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 Japanese guy, the manager, threw salt in. He threw salt in Marty Jannetty's eyes. Jannetty then has one of the best bumps of the whole show, where he's wandering around as if he's blind, and he trips over the guardrail and goes right into the audience, yeah. ass over <laughs> tea kettle. It's so funny. The part that's confusing <laughs> to me is he wasn't even in the match. He was the the tag team partner who was out of the match. Right, and but then, then Shawn Michaels goes to out. see if he's okay. And oh, they get counted that's out. how he got counted out. Yeah. Okay, yeah. less confusing. I get it. Uh, Jim Duggan then goes and defeats Dino Bravo. This match was stupid. I hate Jim Duggan. He's Jim in Duggan. Canada, uh, and he's against a French Canadian. And what does he do? He comes out with an American flag and chants USA, and the crowd could not give a shit. Yep. <laughs> it's Canada, Jim. Come on. 
They do, by the end, in fairness, get behind him. But I just thought, he's an American facing a Canadian in Canada. Why is he emphasizing his patriotism? He almost brings out a, a two-by-four with him? Yeah, he's uh, he's he's was a good guy his entire WWF run. Did he ever run. use it? Yeah, he used it all the time. It was oh, okay. really a non-babyface thing to do. Um, but he usually wouldn't use it to cheat. He'd use it uh, in retaliation for... I think it was just because... I think the reason why the fans loved him so much is because they felt bad for him because of how dim-witted he was. He does... I don't know if he's really dim-witted, but he looks really stupid. Yeah. Next, uh, Ted DiBiase defeats Jake Roberts in a battle uh, similar to the King... There's an unofficial title, which is Teddy Biasi's Million Dollar Belt, yep. uh, which he had commissioned because he could never quite get the championship. So he made his own belt. It's a gorgeous belt. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's dollar signs and diamonds. It's hilarious. Uh, and Jake Roberts had stolen the belt, and and Biasi was in a match to get it back. Before this match, though, we get a, a promo from Jake Roberts. Well, well, the Million Dollar Man, Ted Biasi. Here we are at WrestleMania. And it's the biggest match of your career. Why? Because everything you stand for is on the line. Namely the million-dollar belt. Oh, yeah. It can be yours once again. You see, all you have to do to get it back is go through Damien and me. But you see, Damien and I don't forget. We remember all the times you made people grovel for your money. These were people far less fortunate than you. People who could use your money for essentials. And what did you do? You made fun of them. You humbled them. And you humiliated them. Well, now it's my turn. I'm going to make you beg, DiBiase. You are going to get down on your hands and knees. This time, you'll be the one that's humbled. This time, you'll be the one that's humiliated. And this time, you will be the one that grovels for the money. How appropriate (laughs) that the money you grovel for is your very own. A victim of your own greed, wallowing in the muck of avarice. That shows why, despite being like kind of a big bellied, uh, weird looking old guy, he's such a great. He understood wrestling in a way that few people do. Mm -hmm. He gives this great. In a time when 99% of the promos in the show are, I'm going to beat you, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to pin you, one, two, three. He just talks, and he talks, and even though he's a good guy, he just sounds like a violent, sick individual. And it's all because of how understated he is. And that's why the snake was the perfect gimmick for him. Because they're, they're silent but deadly. <laughs> like farts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like farts. But Tim, I think you kind of give uh, the other wrestlers way too much credit as far as uh, making a lot of sense when they're doing their promos. That's like true. The, like the one you just gave, I understood that you were right. trying to beat someone. <laughs> but if you if you listen to the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan before this match that they have at the oh, end, so oh yeah, we'll talk are, about and insert a few of their. We'll, we'll play clips of some of their promos later because they are insane. Yeah. Uh, but before we get there. Big Boss Man defeats the aforementioned Akeem, the African Dream. Racist. Uh, then Rick Rude defeats Jimmy Schnooka, Jimmy Superfly Schnooka. Oh, Big Boss Man. Yeah. He was the cop guy with the southern, he had the 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 racist flag on his arm. He, well, he's he's uh, from Cobb County, Georgia. That's where he's from. That's why that made, I yeah. was like, and this he's, shit. He's I don't a like corrections this. officer 
And they acknowledge that he's a corrections officer, mm-hmm. yeah. but they essentially paint that as if it's a policeman. Like he talks about, I don't take bribes and I stand for this and that. Like the police, uh, prison guards don't stand for anything. They stand for doing a good job and getting a page. I'm not saying they're great. I, I'm not like trying to insult them, but it's not like being a cop or a firefighter. It's, it's on, just a job. No cops are listening to this. Fuck them. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, it I, a I bit just wanted to make a to point me. about uh, Ted DiBiase because we kind of oh yeah yeah, yeah. we, we sure. kind of went really quick by that oh it's an amazing gimmick the million dollar yeah. man and and that was the the gimmick that Vince McMahon said that if he was a wrestler that was the gimmick that he wanted and so when he gave it to Ted DiBiase he made sure that Ted DiBiase was like riding limos to the shows that he was like flying on jets doing everything like outside yep. of the ring to make it look as legitimate as possible that he was this really rich guy and the things they did to get him over were amazing he my favorite ted dibiase moment uh he comes out on tv and he's got this little like nine-year-old uh kid from out of the crowd with him Mm -hmm. and he says to this kid if you can bounce this basketball 15 times i'll give you a thousand dollars and the kid starts bouncing that basketball and at around 11 dibiase just kicks the ball away and then laughs at the kid and calls him a loser <laughs> and keeps all his money for himself. Just stuff like that. He he would beat guys and he would stuff a hundred dollar bill in their mouth. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, his finishing move was the million dollar dream, which is just a modified a sleeper, sleeper hold. hold. Mm-hmm. And the reason behind the million dollar dream was he would put you to sleep so you could dream of the life of being rich like him because you would never achieve it in reality. How that's so amazing. That's such a great gimmick. And like my my very earliest memory that I can recall as far as watching wrestling in in the my parents' basement was the stuffing of the hundred dollar bill mm-hmm. in the in person's mouth. It was that and that the Undertaker when Undertaker would defeat people, he would actually put them in uh, a body bag. A body bag. Yeah. yeah. Undertaker. Undertaker putting guys in a body bag, mm-hmm. uh, I would literally, completely, literally, I would have to change the channel because I was too scared. I thought, if you zip up that bag, there's no air in there. <laughs> and I knew, this is, I don't know how to reconcile this other than I was very young. I knew wrestling was fake. There was no point where I was watching wrestling that my dad hadn't immediately told me that it was predetermined it was fake. But seeing a guy get put in a body bag and zipped up, I couldn't handle that. Like, you could tell me it was fake till the cows come home. That guy's in a goddamn body bag, and the Undertaker looks like a zombie, and he's dragging him off to the back. I can't watch that. That's terrifying. My, bro- <laughs> my brother was the same way, too. He said that he it was just completely terrifying to see someone in a body bag like that. Ugh. But, uh, and, that, and he had the, um, the, the funeral parlor. Mm-hmm. That was like a, well. Paul Bear hosted the funeral Paul parlor. Ba- yeah. He, Undertaker's manager. I can't remember. Did he actually interview other wrestlers or did he just kind of talk? Paul Bearer would interview. Yeah, they'd have guys on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But so, like I was saying earlier that The Undertaker was my first like favorite wrestler. And so he was on. He This is before uh, WrestleMania 7 because Undertaker was in a face, Jake the Snake Roberts. And this is another thing about like the psychology of Jake Roberts is that he uh, came onto the funeral parlor and he shut like a casket on the Undertaker's hand yep. so that he was trapped. And then he went and he attacked Paul Bearer. I think he like gave him a, a DDT. Like he drove his head like right into the ground. And since Undertaker was my favorite wrestler, it was like 
one of the most traumatic things <laughs> I watch. And yep. I was, I, I was always convinced that like, that if you got your hand in a casket, that you would be stuck forever. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well just bury it. <laughs> right. All right. So then, uh, Rick, Rick Rue defeats Jimmy Schnooker. Not a lot to say here, other than, um, God, that guy. Whew. What a bod. Yeah, Rick Rude is an amazing bod. Steroid enhanced. Both these guys are huge juicers. Hey, that's yeah. your and opinion. He, and he had like, he was so tan too. It was yeah. ridiculous. Oh, he, the looking, best Rick Rude. I was looking at his butt. <laughs> the best Rick Rude story is uh, shortly after this, he wins this match and it's it's so high on the card because he's going to go on at SummerSlam to challenge uh, the winner of our main event for the uh, the WWF title. Yeah, because he's got the he's got the manager, and he does Bobby, a, Bob, Is it Bobby the Brain or is it Jimmy Hart or somebody? I think he's is he with Bobby Heenan at this point? He's got some manager. Anyway, he he starts a, a gimmick where he'll airbrush the face of his opponent right in the crotch of his pants, and when he comes out and he takes his robe off. The first thing he does is swivel his hips around, mm-hmm. and it's all like provocative, and it's so funny. I believe when he's feuding with Jake Roberts, he puts Jake's wife on his pants too. He airbrushes her face right on his crotch again. Something like, and he faced Ric Flair back when he was in WCW, and uh, Ric Flair had uh, Fifi the maid. Oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> it because he Ric Flair had his own like little character show called. Uh, Flair for the gold. Flair for the gold, and it was in like it was supposed to be inside this mansion, and in his mansion he had a, a, a sexy maid called Fifi, and and Rick Rude suggested that he was having an affair with her, mm. and so he had her face like sprayed like on his crotch for their <laughs> match. All right, so the only thing we've got left to talk about is the main event, the ultimate challenge, and we're gonna do so right after this break. Welcome back to the Bookends Podcast, everybody. Where we left off, we were just at our main event. It's the ultimate challenge. It's Hulk Hogan versus the ultimate warrior. Yeah, and this was the first uh, WrestleMania in which the main event was between two guys that were good guys. And so it was seeing, uh, like, maybe dividing, like, do fans want to cheer for the warrior? Do they want to cheer for Hulk Hogan? Right. So it made it just like... uh, a much more, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying, I'm not sure what the word is. I'm looking. It, it's kind of fun because like in the lead up to this, Jesse Ventura, he's always the bad guy. He's been coming out one week in ultimate warrior gear and saying Warrior's going to win. Then the next week he'll come out in Hogan gear. And it's just fun to see like it's breaking his mind apart because he doesn't know <laughs> who to cheer for. Uh, so that's fun. Uh, the promos that lead up to this. So basically the only reason this match is happening is they're the two biggest forces uh, in the WWF. They're they're the, at the top of their game. They're prob- both... probably in the world <clears throat> in terms of wrestling. Absolutely. Oh, um, I just they, oh, just in the gigantic world. human beings. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so at the Royal Rumble, there's a moment. It, it's a match with a lot of guys in it. Um, but there's a moment in the Rumble 
where just the two of them are in the ring. Hey. And the crowd goes absolutely apeshit. If you have to explain to these people what the Royal Rumble is, <laughs> then go back to school. Whoever you are, figure it out. <laughs> well, yeah, you clearly missed Rumble class. <laughs> Idiot. Uh, so there's a point in the Rumble where it's just the two of them in the ring and the crowd goes nuts. Uh, Hogan ends up winning that Rumble. He eliminates Ultimate Warrior. It's an every man for himself kind of thing, so it's not unusual to see a, a good guy do something to a good guy like that. Mm-hmm. Uh but then he Hogan issues what he calls the ultimate challenge, which is, okay, if, if everyone's so crazy about this ultimate warrior, why doesn't he meet me at WrestleMania and we'll see who the best really is? Yeah. <clears throat> and they are both champions. So if one wins, yes. they get two belts. And if the other wins, that person gets two belts. One yep. is the heavyweight champion and one is the Intercontinentals champion. Right. Correct. What does it mean to be an Intercontinentals champion? <laughs> uh what does the word mean? I good question. Does it mean you're the champion of different continents? Yes, you're. Cha- yeah, maybe you just pick two, whereas the world champions the whole world. I honestly mean? don't know. Um, it's just know, an excuse to give somebody else a belt, right? Typically, okay. the way that they've always operated, or they were at this point in history, uh, the WWF champion is the top draw in the company, um, the Hulk Hogan, essentially, uh, and not necessarily the best wrestler. Maybe in your mind. To this point, the Intercontinental Champion is usually the best wrestler in the company. Mm -hmm. Um, That is obviously no longer the case as it's been given to the Ultimate Warrior, who is a terrible wrestler. Oh, is he? Oh, he's garbage. He's absolute garbage. And I believe he he won the title in like 25 seconds or something like that against... uh, Hockey Talk Man. Um, Back to Warrior Savage... uh, Warrior Hogan, excuse me. Um... One thing I'll definitely splice in the show here, and Dave, I'm sure you know the promo I'm talking about. The Ultimate Warrior, at one point in the lead-up to this, gives a promo where the the essence of the promo is that Hulk Hogan, as he makes his way to Toronto for WrestleMania, yep. uh, he should open the cockpit doors of the plane. Mm-hmm. And in there, he will find the pilot and co-pilot have killed themselves. They've made the ultimate sacrifice. Yep. Hulk Hogan should then take the controls of the plane and just steer it towards the ground. And I don't really know why Hulk Hogan should do that, but he's just gives a whole promo where that's the, it's that's like the crux of it. Call yeah. back to the kamikaze. It's so insane. Yeah, he, to bring it into a nosedive so he can land in uh, parts unknown. I Hulk Hogan have a question. Comfort 
the normals that have even more fear than you. Or do you, Hulk Hogan, kick the doors out? Kick the cockpit door down? Take the two pilots that have already made the sacrifice so that you can face this challenge. Dispose of them, Hulk Hogan. Assume the controls, Hulk Hogan. Shove that control into a nosedive, Hulk Hogan. Push yourself to total self-destruction. As you realize, Hulk Hogan, you are about to enter a world close to parts unknown. That's right, which, which is where Ultimate Warriors build from. They say that he's from parts unknown. Yeah. But it's this insane promo because he's he's whispering at times and then screaming the next sentence. So mm-hmm. it's like... Well, that's what his MO is. So the thing that I loved when... I, I don't know if it was Mean Gene who comes out or who it is, but he's just like... You're just a normal. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. And then he pushes him aside. Sean Moody. Sean, Sean Moody, yeah. And then he just, I love you the don't deserve to breathe the same oxygen as me and Hulk Hogan. He, he and then he proceeds, and I didn't do the count, but he said Hulk Hogan 50 times. <laughs> Hulk Hogan, I'm going to get you. Hulk Hogan, I want to murder you. And it's great because the way he says it, he never says the L. It's always Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> It's his promos are, and then Hogan matches his level. And for one thing, these dudes are hopped up on a ton of coke. Like mm, wrestling right. at this point, as much as the steroids is coke. These guys are snorting every dollar hey, bill that they're. These guys, they on the cocaine. Uh, so, so Hogan gives a promo partway during this show where he says uh, that during the match. If Ultimate Warrior realizes that he wants to live forever, then he should get down on his knees and breathe his last breath into Hogan's body so that all of Warrior's fans join with the Hulkamaniacs. Hulk Hogan, the greatest World Wrestling Federation champion of all time. Here we are at WrestleMania 6. The waiting's over. Here comes the ultimate challenge. You know something, Mean Gene? You don't have to remind me and my Hulkamaniacs that at Sky Dome, we're going to face the ultimate challenge, brother. When we crossed the border from the United States of America to Canada, I was hovering over Sky Dome, brother. I saw what was beneath me, man. I saw the greatest arena of all times where the ultimate challenge will take place. And as we landed, brother... Nothing but stark raving Hulkamaniacs were there to greet me at the airport. Nothing but positive vibes, man. Hulkamania is running wild like it's never ran before. But the ultimate warrior, you must realize that when you step in the Sky Dome, when you feel the energy that's going to run wild throughout the arena, those are my people. That's my energy, brother. And Ultimate Warrior, this is where the power lies, man. In the power of the Hulkster, the largest arms in the world. And once I get you down on your knees, Ultimate Warrior, I'm going to ask you one question, brother. I'm going to ask you, do you want to live forever? 
And if your answer is yes, Ultimate Warrior, then breathe your last breath into my body. I can save you. My Hulkamaniacs can save you. We can turn the darkness that you live in into the light. We can save all your little warriors with the training, the prayers, and the vitamins. But I gotta prove one thing to all my Hulkamaniacs out there. It's not whether you win or whether you lose. The only thing that matters is what kind of winner you are or what kind of loser you are. And Ultimate Warrior, I sure hope you're a good loser, brother. What you gonna do at Sky Dome when the largest arms in the world and Hulkamania destroys you? All right, the time is now, Hulkster. Thank you. Standing by, Sean Mooney. It's, 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 again, it's just complete insanity. Well, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's only logical. Uh... <laughs> Of everything that's happened, that's like it's got to be the most logical thing. So this match, uh, it's it's the only match that has any decent length on this entire show. It's about twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they rehearsed it heavily, and you can kind of tell oh, that it was rehearsed. Dude, the very first thing they do is they're like staring at each other. Yep. And then one of them looks and's like, "I'm gonna start running against the ropes." And then the other one's like, "I'm also gonna start <laughs> running against the ropes." And it's the two of them zigzagging. Yeah. That's and that's a repeat could, of what they it made did. me laugh so hard because that's exactly what I did in my Super Nintendo game. I would just start running against the ropes yeah. over and over and over again. It was as if I was choreographing this match. Well, and it's very it's it's booked uh, laid out in such a way that's very even, Steven. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warrior gets in his move, then they go back. They start you know the ropes or whatever. They lock up, and then Hogan gets his move. Hey, what was what was Ultimate Warrior's ultimate? move was it just like a clothesline it or? was a splash where the guys hogan or, or whoever is laying on the ground Ho, uh warrior bounces off the ropes jumps and then in jumps the in the air and lands with his belly um sometimes they're laying on their stomach or back he seemed to kind of do both sure okay. um so that was and, then and, that and was hollywood hulk move. hogan obviously his special move the greatest move in all of wrestling a leg drop. Yeah. <laughs> Which, as Hogan himself has pointed out in recent years, makes no sense because uh, his entire gimmick is that he has the largest arms in the world. Right. And he uses so his, <laughs> he uses his leg, leg yeah. as his finishing move. and Which is part of the reason the, the man can barely walk. Because t- that impact on his tailbone over and over and over and over again, he, his back is complete. Yeah. It's, it's made up of like duct tape and old skunk. It's just like that guy is a... Uh, I, I was listening to a wrestling podcast Thanks, where they said Obamacare. that they said that Hogan getting out of bed in the morning must sound like a Halloween uh, CD, like sound effects CD, where it's just like door creaks and like witches screaming. <laughs> That's what you hear when Hulk Hogan gets out of bed in the morning. I, I also remember because he had his uh, reality show. Yeah, Hogan, Hogan knows best. Yep. And there was a, a scene where he was going into his walk-in closet trying to find something to wear. And he like f- fell down, and he literally could not get back up. Oh, that's so because sad. his back, th- because he's had so many different types of surgeries, not just yeah. individual surgeries. They've tried so many different things to fix his back. Yeah, and it's all it has to all do to the leg drop. Yeah, the only thing that I did really love is that Hulk Hogan was still calling everybody brother. Yeah, like all of his gimmicky shit remained the same right. throughout. It was just like, "Hey, brother! Hey, brother! Listen, dude! When he's he's super mad at someone, he still calls him dude. I always think that's so. <laughs> that's funny. the most appropriate time to call somebody dude. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert: Ultimate Warrior wins the match. Well, uh, 
Yeah, but I mean nobody. Come on, Tim. But if you look at the end of the match, damn it, Tim! <laughs> wait, didn't we? Haven't we been saying exactly who's been winning the entire time? Well, we hadn't yet said who won the main event. Oh, okay. I was keeping uh, the surprise for those at home. Yeah, yeah. Ultimate Warrior won. Ultimate Warrior wins. It's a changing of the guard, supposedly. Uh, within a couple of years, though, another spoiler alert. Ultimate Warrior is basically out of the company and Hogan's champion again for years after this. So this is the first of, of many changing of the guards with Hulk Hogan that ended up with Hogan just coming back to save the day once again. And you can see him planting the seeds of this. Uh, Warrior wins. And the right thing to do would be for Hogan to raise his arm. This is the new guy. I'm giving him my tacit endorsement by raising his arm. And then Hogan should have fucked off and got out of Dodge. But instead, he... Immediately, as soon as the match is done, he falls to his knees and he's pulling faces and he does raise Warrior's arm, but then he's still, he's like, he knows where the camera is. He's making faces. It becomes a moment more about how sad Hogan is that he lost than it is about how awesome it is that the ultimate warrior, this guy you've been cheering, who you want to be the new champion, it, it stops being about him. Hogan finds a way to make the moment about himself. And he does that. He did that a year, um... He did that years ago when uh, WrestleMania 4, when Randy Savage won the WWF title for the first time, and Hogan comes out to like pose with him because they're buddies, and it, it becomes a moment all about how happy Hogan is for his friend, and not a moment about how Randy Savage is great because he just became champion. Yeah, what a shithead. He is a fucking... Hogan is the worst. Let one thing that we didn't... One other thing that we didn't talk about Yeah, that was, I thought, pretty crazy as I was watching it was... Uh, uh, some woman was interviewing someone in between matches. Yeah, and she says something about like, "Look at us, two bookends." Oh yeah, yep. Do you yep. catch that? Yep. Special interview time here, and our special guest. Please welcome with me Hollywood's own Rona Barrett. Rona, Hi, welcome. Gorilla, lovely to be here. Can you believe it? Having two bookends like this. It made me go, <laughs> "Oh yeah," and then I winked at the TV. So uh, uh, this is a sad thing that I want to point out. This is something you can do uh, if you're a wrestling fan when you watch any any old wrestling show, even from just a few years ago. Uh, they're all dead. In your free time. You can make a little list of who's dead they're from the show you're dead. watching. Mm-hmm. So deaths we have on this show. Gorilla Monsoon, the announcer, uh, heart disease brought on by diabetes. One of the referees, his son, Joey Morella. Hey, wait a second. Can we, what's di- what is diabetes again? It's a kidney disease. Call back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Joey Morella fell asleep behind the wheel after a WWF house show and mm-hmm. crashed his car and died. Andre died of acrimony. How the uh, fuck does that happen? How do you fall asleep when you're driving? Uh, it happened to my father-in-law once. He's lucky he's left. Wow. He was working overnights, and you're just not supposed to do that when you get to a certain age. Jesus. It, it, okay. It, is that what happened to Savage, or did Savage have a heart attack? Savage had a heart attack while driving. Yeah. Okay. Uh, earthquake had cancer and died. Hercules okay. steroid-related heart disease. Mr. Perfect, cocaine overdose. Whoa, Mr. Perfect's dead? Yep. Coke. Coke. Co- yeah, that was like 2003 or four. How do you overdose on cocaine? Well, it helps when your heart's already messed up from all the steroids sure, and painkillers right. you've been taking. Okay. It's, a, it's like a double doozy. Bad News Brown, heart attack, Miss Elizabeth, overdose on booze and painkillers. Oh, Miss Elizabeth. Yeah. Randy Savage, heart attack while driving. Sensational Sherry, painkiller overdose. Sapphire, heart attack. Uh, the craziest story, Dino Bravo, the, uh, the guy who faced Hacksaw Jim Duggan, yeah. he was shot seven times, 17 times by the Canadian mafia because after he had retired from wrestling, he, uh, started smuggling cigarettes in Quebec where he lived 
and that rubbed the mob the wrong way, and they came to his house while he was watching hockey and shot the shit out of him. Smuggling cigarettes. He was smuggling cigarettes in Quebec. I've seen a Simpsons episode about that. Big Boss Man, heart attack. Rick Rude, heart failure brought on by an overdose. And the Ultimate Warrior, uh, heart disease brought on probably by a lot of steroids. We'll talk about Ultimate Warrior a little bit more in uh, part two where we talk about WrestleMania 30. Because mm-hmm. it, uh, it was right around that time. So, yeah, that's just, that's so, it's so incredibly sad. And I know uh, it sounds like, you know, 1990, that's getting to be quite a long time ago. But by comparison, uh, through mid-2014, which is when this note on Wikipedia was written, only one person from the Super Bowl that year had died. So one person from the Super Bowl, which has a lot more competitors than WrestleMania does. Mm-hmm. And and we've got, uh, I didn't count that up, but it looks like maybe 15 wrestlers. To, to be fair, uh Football is going to go a little bit younger. It's probably 20 to 30-year-olds. Sure. Wrestling, wrestling, you can range all the way up to 40. But, uh, yeah, you're right. It's it's a lot of people that died. And it's it's one of the hardest things about being a wrestling fan because I like these guys. I love the entertainment. And yet you worry, like, am, am I – It's uh, Caleb talked about this in our Ben Folds episode when we were talking about Muhammad Ali. Uh, you know, by watching the NFL, is this a tacit endorsement of these guys killing themselves? Um, so yeah, so that brings us to the end of WrestleMania six. Uh, anything we want to say about this show guys, anything else? I, I want, I we've said a lot. I want Dave to give me his thoughts. Where does, uh, where does this rank as far as WrestleManias go? You've oh. seen all of them. I'm sure now. Yeah. With the WWE network. Yep. Well, the only thing with this WrestleMania is that's only notable for one match. Uh, I mean, which one ha- is it? Is that is that the Hogan, Hogan, Hogan Warriors? Warriors. Yes, okay. the Ultimate yeah. Challenge. Hey, it, it's fun. one. It's one of the most famous uh, WWF matches that there ever was because and, it was the first good two good guys against each other. I mean, I, and these guys were both like it cannot be stressed enough how popular both of them were at the time. Yeah, okay. People were starting to get a little sick of Hogan. It's kind of interesting cuz when Hogan comes out, he gets a louder reaction than Warrior does. He gets mm-hmm. it's you know louder cheers, but you can hear some boos. When Warrior comes out, yeah. it's not necessarily as big of a reaction, but it's all cheers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and him getting boos is at that time was not as commonplace as nowadays where right. where people feel more compelled to boo good guys if they just don't like them right but i mean as far as this wrestlemania is concerned uh i mean other than that match i mean half those matches i forgot yeah were even on there there's so many of them. there's so many of them and a lot of the matches aren't very good at all right um are kind of i mean they're only a few minutes long it it seems it, it felt like the whole show was just making sure everyone that we have signed is in the ring at some point. Right. So highlight, highlight. Well, uh, the highlight is uh, the Hogan Warrior match. All right. If you had to pick a second favorite match on this card, what would it be? Um, boy, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going with uh, Jake Jake uh, DiBiase. Yeah. I I liked uh, when Jesse Ventura said. No one in Minneapolis would like you, Monsoon. <laughs> yeah, so go, right. get yourself out of here. And then I also really liked when uh, Jesse would say, 
Hey, gorilla, are you going to eat a hot dog during every interview? <laughs> He's got another hot dog in his mouth right now. And gorilla's got it. I swear to God, I don't have a hot dog. I swear. One of my favorite announcer moments in the show is um, w- right after uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan has just turned, uh, had his big argument with Andre, and Andre turned on him and became a good guy. Mm-hmm. And Mean Gene starts an interview, and I don't know if this was intentional or if this was a, a fuck-up. But he goes, Bobby Heenan, I find that you're tougher to get along than a mother-in-law on a weekend visit to my house. Don't you concern yourself about getting along with me. I'm the easiest guy in the world to get along with. But when you're 540 pounds, you're 7 feet 4, and it takes two and a half hours for the blood to reach the brain, you don't think real white, Wait right? a minute, Bo- Bobby Heenan, where do you have the bo- the nerve to hit Andre the Giant in the face? Well, I'll tell you where I got the, the nerve to hit Andre in the face. You take uh, orders from me. Bobby the Brain Heenan, where do you get the butt? The nerve to go after on and Bobby the Brain Heenan, whether it's on purpose or an accident, he's so quick on his feet that he goes, "I'll tell you where I got the bu- the nerve to." And he just he just says it the exact same way, and it's just Bobby the Brain Heenan was so great. So I guess my one ta- the one takeaway I would say is it was weird to think that this was a time when I was alive as a human being. Doesn't it look so old? They're mm. all so fucking old. The and people in the crowd look just bizarre. The weird, it's just like, is this what we looked like in 1990? The, cra- like, the craziest part about 1990 is that everybody was stuck in the 80s. It was yeah. they were it. They didn't look like they were from 1989. They looked like they were from like 1984. Like the you, 80s lasted way too long. Here's my theory on that, though. Yeah, remember that this is Canada, and I think Canada is like, especially oh, this I'm point, not, probably I'm, like two years behind us. I'm not talking just about everyone in the audience. I'm oh, talking okay. about the wrestlers. I don't know if wrestling is two yeah. years behind normal human culture. Oh, they're definitely behind because they're so um, within their bubble of wrestling. Um, All right. Another, so another thing oh, that uh, that I noticed from watching it is that that so many of the wrestlers were either out of shape yeah. or they were trying really hard to be in shape because I, I, I don't think I watched that main event for a while, but I didn't realize that uh, because like some wrestlers have these tights where it kind of like holds your belly in a little bit. Yeah. And Hulk Hogan was wearing that by that time. I, and I didn't realize I was like, Oh yeah. That he was one of the top guys. And, but he already was kind of i'm sure it was a lot had to do with uh back injuries and stuff it was probably hard to keep yourself in shape but in comparison when we get to what, wrestlemania 30 the conditioning is so much better yeah and and one another thing is that there's like a lot less of a partying lifestyle yeah that goes with wrestling nowadays I and mean, back then it was just as long as you showed up to the arena on time they yeah. didn't really care what you did in the meanwhile Anyway, I think that closes the book on WrestleMania 6. We're going to be back in part two to discuss WrestleMania 30. Dern? Yeah, shit. Uh, I might have to watch it again. Hey, you know what? You you get to watch it again. Oh, I mean, that's that's what I meant to say. I might get to watch it again. <laughs> WrestleMania 30 was four hours long. It's it's a little bit of a slog. There's, um, there's something that it's I wa- a much better show though. There's something that I wanted to say about wrestling in general, but I'll save that for the next part. All right. So, Hey, if that's not a cliffhanger, I don't here's, know what is. Here's a teaser for you people. <laughs> I'll save it for the next part. That's not a teaser. Uh, cliffhanger. No, no. <laughs>
A teaser would be like, uh, I'm saving it for the next part. It's uh, Here's a hint. It's about another wrestler, wrestler's genitalia that I noticed. Here's a hint. Like you, <laughs> you need to. <laughs> it's about another wrestler's genitalia, I noticed. Is it really about another wrestler's well, genitalia? Well, no, but it, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to tie it into genitalia some way. You know me. All right. Well, we all look forward to hearing that in part two of our WrestleMania Bookends episode. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.